everyone, and welcome back to the Watch Dogs Bark. My name is Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. For sure. <laughs> All right, in this episode, my, 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 I am telling you right now, everyone, and I mean everyone, needs to go see The Sound of Freedom. And do not listen to the lies being told by people that don't want you to see it. And there's a specific reason why they don't want you to see it. Also, I'm going to cover the Hollywood strike and what it means. And I think this one's going to go on a very long time. And I think Hollywood may have shot themselves in the foot. Uh, And then, do you think there's such a thing as systemic sexism? I don't know. I think you're going to find it very entertaining and informative when I address that topic. Also, Representative Jim Jordan is proposing a plan to move the FBI headquarters to Huntsville, Alabama. What would this mean? And too many people today are putting party over country. How did this happen? And what does it mean for America's future? And then, of course, I'll have to comment on the stupid (laughs) cocaine baggie in the White House again. After just 11 days, the Secret Service ends its investigation into the baggie of cocaine. And no suspects have been found. No fingerprints, no DNA, no anything. And that's completely baloney. Then uh, the police, after 13 long years have finally found the Gilco Beach serial killer. And I will make an interesting comparison as to how police worked so well to find this suspect, but the Secret Service are ignoring things because I think we all know who the suspect is that either brought the cocaine into the White House or was having it delivered. Hmm. And then lastly, do social media companies deserve Section 230 protections? Hmm. I'll discuss that and more. And of course, three more things that you must give up in order to be happy. So stick around. We got a fun show planned for you. Okay, let's get into the first topic. And I'm telling you, I am dead serious. Every single person within the sound of my voice needs to go see The Sound of Freedom. This is an amazing movie. Just be prepared. You're going to be disgusted. You're going to be sickened. You're going to uh, have an uneasy feeling in your stomach throughout most of it. This was done with a lot of class and very cleanly. There is no nudity, thank goodness. There is no uh, simulated sex. There is no anything that would make it really, really horrible for anyone to see. But there are some implied situations, like when a grown man and a young girl go into a a room and the door closes. We know what they're going into that room to do. This movie moved me to such an extent, I had a hard time sleeping that night. But I am telling everyone You have to see this movie. And I know Rolling Stone and other people, other publications and people, Hollywood people are saying, do not go see this movie. It's not based on reality. It's a made up story. It's uh, they don't have all the everything right. Everything's inaccurate. 
That could not be further from the truth. And the people that are telling you to not go see this movie and are making up lies have a definite motive to try and stop you from seeing this movie. There exists in this world great evil in the form of child sex trafficking. Now, Tim Ballard was a Homeland Security special agent that went after pedophiles, and he was very good at his job. And this movie is about him, and it stars Jim Caviezel. And I know Rolling Stone and other people say Jim Caviezel is a a QAnon supporter. That's completely false. They're making up whatever lie they have to to prevent you from seeing this movie. You have to ask yourself, why would they do that? Why would they make up lies to try and prevent you from seeing a movie about worldwide child sex trafficking? Huh. Think about that one for a sec. Even before I watched this movie, I was doing some research on human trafficking that's happening on our southern border here in the United States. And it is out of control. And I can't help but think the reason why Joe Biden and this administration undid all of the border security protocols and uh, systems put into place is because they want to increase illegal immigration, number one, but also they turn the borders over to be controlled by the drug and trafficking cartels. Did you know since this administration took over, since Joe Biden took over as president, 85,000 children have been just sent into the core of our country. They show up on the border, unaccompanied minors. They get picked up by buses and bust to people or I'm putting in quotes, families or sponsors here in this country. Now, I am absolutely sure there are some legitimate family connections, like these kids are coming to join aunts and uncles or moms and dads that came over before them and the kids couldn't come over at one time or whatever. I I am not disputing that fact at all, but I am guessing the majority are being sex trafficked. Because you want to know one thing that's extremely disturbing, that is the absolute truth. You can go look this up. The number one country in the world that are consumers of child sex trafficking is the United States of America. Let that sink in. There are an estimated 2 million children being sex trafficked around this world. And I just have to say this. The people that are involved in luring in the children and then drugging them and transporting them to their sponsors, and then those that are buying these children and doing horrific acts with them, there is a special place in hell for you. you. I'm one of those people that does research, and I honestly don't want to know this amount of evil exists in our country and in the world, but it does. And we cannot turn a blind eye to it. That gives the cartels carte blanche to do what they want. And like I said, 
85,000 unaccompanied minors are unaccounted for that came across our southern border. How many of those are now in the hands of pedophiles? You watch this movie, and there are parts that will literally take your breath away. It did me. And uh, the people (laughs) that played these characters, I I don't know that they're going to have an an ability to get a lot of good work in the film industry because they were so convincing. There were times when I was just trying to hold back tears and my skin was crawling at the same time. And and I'm I'm describing something that, that would probably turn many of you off, but everyone has to see this movie. You have to see this movie and you have to get disgusted and you have to get mad. We have to stop this. These are God's children. And there is a, I don't, I can't remember where the scripture is exactly, but it says it would be better for you to have a millstone chained to your neck and you be thrown to the bottom of the sea than to abuse God's children. For those of you who don't know, this story is about Tim Ballard, a um, Homeland Security special officer in charge of busting child sex rings and busting pedophiles. And basically, the story is about him going to Cartagena uh, in Colombia on a tip. And after he busts the pedophile he's there for, he discovers there are a couple children that need his help. And he's never focused on that part before, and it changes him dramatically. And he takes great risk and goes to really great extent to try and rescue these two children. And uh, the father putting pressure on him when, when they're able to find one but not the other. And then, you know, it's just there's so much going on in this. And from what I hear, there was a woman that walked out of this movie after, I don't know, the first 30 minutes or so, because a lot of the footage in Cartagena, uh, you know, was live and very real. And it disturbed her because that was where she grew up. And she didn't want to know that kind of stuff happened there. And I can certainly understand that. Uh, If this was being filmed in my hometown, and I found out there was a, a bunch of child sex trafficking and and pedophiles that were initiating these clubs. And, oh my gosh, you just have to see the movie to understand what I'm talking about. One of the things I found most disturbing, and I, I'm pretty sure it was portrayed well, is how elaborate these schemes are. How they will create clubs and have memberships and have these really nice surroundings and you've got these very nicely dressed men and I guess there were some women but I think it was mostly men dressed and then they march in the children and you're like no no uh uh-uh no uh uh-uh this oh my gosh and it's a den of evil that's all I could think of with that and there's this one scene where Jim Caviezel uh, said he had a really hard time playing it, and I can certainly understand. Uh, he had, as Tim Ballard, and Tim Ballard confirmed this, uh, that he had to pretend to be a pedophile at one time to go after this one really high-level 
pedophile to try and find out who was feeding him, you know, the connections and the children and all that. So having to pretend that and then, you know, he, of course, after he gets and meets with this person, he gets sick to his stomach. And I, I just can't even imagine that in real life. And by the way, <clears throat> for those of you who think or want to listen to these Hollywood publications and like, like uh, uh, Rolling Stone and I think Variety or other, some other publications and, and some stars have spoken out against this movie. The reason why they don't want you to see this movie is, I believe many in Hollywood are consumers. Now I say many, I'm just going, to, I'm not going to put a number on it, but I'm, I'm guessing that's why many of the studios and people are telling you not to go see this movie because they either are part of it or know about it and don't want to expose it. Just to let you know, Tim Ballard was an advisor on this movie and says that everything that happened in this movie happened to him. And the gentleman who made this movie, or the director rather, Alejandro Monteverde, um, he also has a part in the movie too. It's pretty crazy. But he shopped this around to all kinds of studios and they all turned him down flat. Gosh, I wonder why. He shopped it at Disney. He shopped it at uh, Paramount. He shopped it uh, to Universal. He shopped it to um, Amazon, to Netflix. All these companies turned him down flat. Why do you think they did that? And by the way, the, the people in the cast are perfectly cast. Uh, Jim Caviezel, absolutely fantastic as Tim Ballard. Mira Sorvino as his wife. She's the one that convinces him, you have to risk everything to go get these kids. You, you just have to. Oh, and the two kids that play the kids in this movie, they deserve Oscars. They, they oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine being in a place to play this at such young ages. They were so advanced in their techniques and portraying emotions and very mixed emotions and, and subliminal emotions under the real emotions. I mean, it was just amazing to watch. Amazing, yet heartbreaking. And at the end of this movie, no one moved when the credits started rolling. There's a little thing on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen that says there's going to be a special message in two and a half minutes. So everybody, of course, sat for that. And then Jem Caviezel talks about a special message, how we need to pass the message on and pass tickets on. And, and by the way, I did buy a block of tickets. <laughs> so there is really no excuse. If you have no money, if you are dirt poor, and you, wrote, you want to go into a movie theater and see one movie for free, go see this movie. And you can go to the website, angel.com slash free tickets. And uh, that's the studio that made it, Angel Studios. And go to angel.com slash free tickets. And you can get a free ticket to go see this movie. Because I know I paid for a bunch of tickets and a bunch of people that saw the movie with me. I saw everybody pulling out their phones. They put a little QR code and said, click on this. And if you can donate tickets to pass it forward, do, please do so. And so I did. And I know many others did. So there is no excuse not to go see this movie. All right. So that's uh, all of my review 
and a recommendation for what I believe is going to be one of the greatest movies. And my, my mother brought this up, and I thought that was a perfect comparison. This is like Schindler's List. Remember how uncomfortable you were at parts of Schindler's List? That's going to be the same feeling you have in The Sound of Freedom. But everyone needed to see Schindler's List to see the horrors and evil of the Holocaust. And the same rules apply. The same thing applies for this movie. Everyone needs to see this movie. Everyone needs to get that uncomfortable because we have to stop child sex trafficking. It, the, one of the, the mantras that goes along throughout the movie and is at the very end it is uh, absolutely true. God's children are not for sale. Okay, and that leads me to the next part of this podcast, and that is the Hollywood strike. For, I think it's 71 days now, the writers have been on strike, and all of the late-night talk shows have not been running, and, and uh, Greg Gutfeld is the king of <laughs> late-night, and he's still running. But all the other ones, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, James Corden, um, Stephen Colbert, they're all shuttered and running reruns or doing other programming because the writers are on strike. Now, the actors have joined them. What Hollywood and the big studios especially, I don't think you understand. You may never get some of your audiences back, ever, because you allowed your stars to use their celebrity as bully pulpits, to marginalize and put down anyone that dared to vote or believe differently. And your studios went too woke, especially Disney. As I said in another podcast, and it hurts my heart to say this, Disney is no longer a company for families. It's no longer a company for children. It has become an indoctrination network. I mean, look at, look at the, the latest movies they've put out. The uh, Elementals and other, what was the other one? Oh, the um, Snow White. And it's not seven dwarves anymore. It's seven um, multiracial, multi-height, multi-occupational, um, interesting people. Why? Why do you do this, Hollywood? Why do you try and bring back classics and make them relative? I used that term before in another podcast. There are so many today that want relativism, which means, or presentism. They want to go back and they want to fix all of history's mistakes. They want to go back and erase those mistakes. Do you know what happens? It's been said numerous times by socialism and, and communism. Those who erase the past or don't educate and study the past are doomed to repeat it. And Hollywood seems to want to go back and correct all their mistakes, not knowing that if they leave the films as they are and don't try and remake those films and make other films that are creative and original, they would have a greater impact than to go back and make an all-woman's Ghostbusters and uh, change the, the racial content and sexuality of Disney characters. These are not necessary. 
And they also show that you've lost your creativity. All you're doing is regurgitating these movies and bringing back remakes of all these films. You don't need to do that, Hollywood. You need to get creative and start writing original, new content. So the actors, and by the way, Fran Drescher is the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, She was the nanny, for those of you who remember the TV show. But she's the president of SAG now. And she's saying that one of the reasons why the actors are now striking is they're worried about AI and machines replacing them. Here's my thoughts on that. If you are a really good actor or actress and you study your craft constantly and you are doing everything you can to make yourself unique, marketable, original, genuine, a multi-layered chameleon, there is no machine that will be able to imitate what you do. Because AI has a problem with emotions. And AI has a problem with sensitivity and compassion and love and different things like that. AI still, with emotions especially, is very surface. And that's why I don't believe Hollywood is in that great of danger if they are really presenting good actors and actresses that can really, really blow up a screen. For those that, are, that continue to do the same character in every show they do, and I won't mention names because I don't want to do that, but there are actors that have become famous playing one character and then keep playing that same character over and over and just basically typecasting. There are actors getting paid millions of dollars to do that. They might have need to be worried about losing their job, but really good comedic and dramatic and heartfelt and chameleon-like actors and actresses don't have anything to worry about. But I think the real problem is streaming. I know for me, and especially during the pandemic, during the pandemic, we barred people from going to see movies. We barred people from gathering in large groups, unless you were protesting Black Lives Matter or the George Floyd, then, then, you know, COVID obviously didn't care or wouldn't, wouldn't infect you, even though you were out in the streets in hundreds of thousands, that was allowed. But going to a movie theater with 50 to 300 people close, no, no, that's not allowed. So what Hollywood did by enforcing these draconian lockdown laws during COVID, the pandemic, is they got people used to to seeing their products in their own homes. And a lot of people spent a lot of money to improve their home systems, got bigger screens, got surround sound, got all kinds of things. And as a family, it's easier to sit down and pop your own popcorn and and go to the store and buy some candy and sit and watch the latest release on streaming than to cart everybody into a car Go down to the, uh, the, the movie theater and pay twice what you're paying for your family and tickets in concessions. And the reason why, honestly, is theaters don't make any money off of the movie itself until the very, very end. Uh, all the producers and uh, uh, executive producers and stuff like that make all, and actors make all their money on the front end 
when the movie opens. But the concessions pay the theaters. That's the only way they make money. And that's why the concessions are so stinking high. Uh, I worked at an AMC theater many years ago when I was a teenager, and I discovered that. So just to know, but imagine taking a family of five or six out to a movie, you know, each tickets, uh, 10, 15 bucks and concessions. You're talking a couple hundred bucks to take the whole family to see this new blockbuster when you can just stay at home and try out your new surround sound system and big screen TV and cook your own popcorn and add whatever flavors you want and pick your own candy, and it's gonna be a lot cheaper. So what Hollywood did by forcing people to stop going to see movies in theaters is they got people used to streaming. And that, I believe, I don't know if that audience will ever return. I, I was very, very encouraged when I went to see Sound of Freedom. The entire theater was packed solid, and it was for a 7.30 show. Uh, and it was, like I said, it was fantastic. Nobody moved. Uh, everybody was just blown away by the film. They applauded at the end after Jim Caviezel's message. So I know there is an audience, Hollywood, listen closely. There is a big audience for good, moral, Christian, pro-American content. Look what Maverick did. Look what Top Gun Maverick did. Broke records because it was patriotic. It was pro-American. It didn't put down any other race or sexuality or political belief. It didn't tell you that the people that don't believe this are evil. It was all American. And Hollywood, there is a big audience for those kind of movies. And I think they're starting to see it with Sound of Freedom because it was released, its opening weekend, on 2,000 fewer screens than Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny, and it did more money. So think about that. Less screens, more money. This is going to be big. I think Sound of Freedom is going to have as big, if not greater impact on audiences and people in general worldwide as Schindler's List did. So it is my belief that because Hollywood doesn't recognize what the real problem is, that they went too woke and ascribed to this draconian measures uh, way too soon and should have stuck, stuck up for people going to see movies live, but they didn't. They capitulated and, and uh, you know, told everybody, stay at home, stay at home. Well, then they started releasing all these new releases on streaming right away. And that got people to say, hey, we, we can just watch our favorite movie that comes right to our, to our TV here. Like this, this summer, oh, we'll have to wait maybe a month or two. No problem. We'll do that. And then we'll watch it at home. So Hollywood shot themselves in the foot by going too woke and by adhering to these insane, non-effective lockdowns during the pandemic. All right. That's my feeling on that. If you agree or disagree, feel free to write me, drew at thewatchdogsbark.com. All right. I want to just cover this other topic really quickly. I know I made it a part of my intro and everything, but I really just want to make one quick point. I hear a lot of people talking about how our judicial and law enforcement systems are systemically racist. And I have a hard time believing that. I'm sure there are racists in it, 
But to say that the system is racist, meaning that the system, the training, the actual processes and procedures are actually stacked against people of color. And my response to that is if you look at the overall crime rates in our country, um, over 50% of the murders in our country are committed by black men. And 95% of those are black people killing other black people. But they don't want to address that because that's not part of the racist narrative. And my, my question, my sincere question to people that actually believe that our, our system is racist, do you think our system's sexist? I'll give you a second to think about that because I'm going to blow your mind with this next thing. If we are locking up 90% of men over women, does that mean the judicial and law enforcement system is sexist? No. It's that men commit the most crimes. That's exactly why the system has locked up way more men than women. That's not saying that women don't commit crimes. That's why we have female prisons. And some men that are declaring themselves women and getting women pregnant. But uh, uh, that's, a, that's a whole nother tangent. So um, if we actually say the race, that the system is stacked against individuals because there are more of that kind of individual in our penal system. And we are saying that because of that, that this whole entire system is racist or sexist. We are ignoring the fact that men are committing more crimes than women and black men are committing the most homicides. And that's, that's an absolute fact. And you can call me racist if you want. Like I said, labels don't bother me, but I'm just my, my friends of color. You have to start policing your own. You know, like I said in my other podcast, back when equal rights was a thing and they were marching, you know, in Alabama and Selma, and there was 26% single motherhood in your community. Now it's over 70. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The government wants single women to marry the government, to basically depend on the government as if they are the father. And they want the fathers to let go of that responsibility and let the government and single mothers raise children. When you do that and have no father figure, no masculine figure, no, no one to teach these men respect for women, respect for your elders, hard work, uh, ethics, st study and work ethics, they don't have a role model. And they go to try and find that role model elsewhere. Gangs, and other associations like that. So that's why we have to start telling people of color that the best way to raise children, without a doubt, is a mother and a father at home. And men, my, my friends of color who are men who have, have knocked up a girl and got her pregnant, that's your responsibility. Step up. And I know it's cliche to say, you know, you shouldn't have kids outside of marriage, but there are three things, and this goes for all races and all creeds of people, not just people of color. There are three things you can do to guarantee success in your life. Graduate from high school. Don't have sex before you get married. Don't have children before you get married. And don't spend everything you make. Get a job. Put a little tiny bit away with every paycheck. If you do those three things, 
you'll be successful, period. Because the most of the people occupying our jails are men who did not have a father figure, who did not graduate from high school, and who either had a job or never got a job and joined and got involved in gangs or drugs or other things to make money. Again, do those three things. Graduate high school. Don't have children before you're married. Don't spend everything you make. Those three simple things will make sure you have success in life. All right. Representative Jim Jordan is proposing a plan to move the FBI headquarters to Huntsville, Alabama. I believe this would be a great move. Now, I understand the FBI and DOJ need to be next to each other so they can work because they work together frequently and they can walk across the street. But the FBI is asking for billions of dollars to build a brand new headquarters in Northern Virginia that would be bigger than the Pentagon. Here's my answer to the FBI. No, absolutely not. Not until you can prove that you're no longer partisan and no longer part of a two-tiered justice system that goes after conservatives at a much higher rate, especially Trump and his supporters. Once you can show that you are, are nonpartisan and the way you were created to just go after lawbreakers and be one of the best investigative bodies in the entire world again, no, you don't deserve a new headquarters at all. And if you do, it should be far away from the cesspool of D.C. You see, D.C. is 98% Democrat. I think probably the only Republicans that live in D.C. are the representatives and senators that come from other states, Republican states. So that, that means that I believe the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ should all be stationed in other parts of the country so that you know how middle America lives, the flyover states, the residents of the flyover states. You should have a very strong and understanding and compassionate view of the way America lives, not your bubble in D.C., not your liberal, liberal crazy bubbles, D.C., L.A., San Francisco, New York. The people that live in these bubbles don't believe anybody else in this country exists as far as differences of opinions. It's, it's amazing to me. When I was living in New York City and working at a very liberal place, I had to keep my mouth shut, of course, and I've had to do that for a long, long time. And I talked to people and they talked like they knew everything was exactly the way they believed. This was prior to the 2016 election. And I was talking to these two ladies and they were talking. I think, I, I don't know if I told this story, but not, but if, if so, uh, you know, be, bear with me. But they were convinced 100% that Hillary Clinton was going to win. They're like, oh, it's not even fair. Oh my gosh. Uh, Donald Trump's going to be so embarrassed. I, you know, I, I honestly kind of feel sorry for him. And I just kind of leaned my head in between them. I said, uh, you realize Donald Trump's going to win, don't you? And they're like, no, no, uh-uh, no way, no way, uh-uh. You know, and they're like, they, they were flabbergasted. And uh, after the election, one stopped talking to me completely. And, and when I was walking down the hall, she would turn around and walk the other way or do everything even to avoid my eye contact. 
And another one came up to me and said, how did you know? I mean, I thought it was so obvious. I said, because you live in this bubble. I said, I travel all over the country and I spend a lot of time in middle America and have been almost to all 50 states. I've been to 49 states. The only state I've never been to is Maine, which ironically is very close to New York. But I just, I don't know. I never made it up there. Uh, Maine, I would like to come visit you just to let you know. But there are nonstop when you get out of the bubble of New York City and go to other places, you will see nothing but Trump, Trump pence signs everywhere you look. And she's like, really? I said, yeah. I said, the media is trying to convince you that this is one-sided and Hillary's got it in the bag. And that's exactly the reason why she's going to lose. Sorry. Or she lost. I, this was the day after the election. She goes, wow, I, I, I just never knew. I, I, that's really amazing uh, that you knew that. And I'm like, well, like I said, other people were ignoring everyone in the flyover states. They created even that, that label, the flyover states, meaning why even bother when you're flying from Los Angeles to New York, you're flying over all of those Ill, irrelevant states. They don't matter. They don't, we don't care about them. They're the flyover states as we go from one very important metropolis of Los Angeles to another very important metropolis of New York City. All the others, they're all peons. They're all peasants. That's basically what you're saying when you say flyover states. You know, we used to, as a country, be very patriotic. Everyone was proud of this country. We had our differences back in the time of JFK and RFK. Uh, and I, I, I know this because I've been listening to RFK Jr. talk about his experience with his uncle and his father. You know, they wanted lower taxes. They wanted uh, patriotism. They wanted things that would make the average American's life better. But we have become a, such a divided society and what's really crazy and sad to me is I see so many people on the right and the left, by the way, and it's extreme right and extreme left. That's like 10% to the right and 10% to the left. And the other 80% in the middle are those of us trying to get everyone to work together and love this country and raise up together. There are so many on that extreme right and extreme left that put party over country. Their party is number one on their priority. Before their country, before their family, before their God, they are putting party first and what is best for the party. I'm going to do another podcast and talk about that in greater detail for sure. All right. <laughs> okay. 11 days after the Secret Service began their investigation into the baggie of cocaine found at the White House, no suspect has been named and, huh, they couldn't find any DNA. They couldn't find any fingerprints. They don't have any video footage in the most secure building in the entire world. If not the world, definitely inside the United States. This is where the president of the United States lives and works. Do you remember when Trump was in office and they were confirming Amy Coney Barrett and Donald Trump got COVID. And for two weeks, the media outlets went crazy with maps and diagrams and pick apart this and that and trying to find out who breathed on who and who was in the same room sharing space with who. And this person probably infected and they may have shooken hands here. And 
I mean, it was insane the amount of media coverage that was just over how Donald Trump got COVID. And now that they found a baggie of an illicit substance in the White House, uh, well, we may not find out who did it. Oh, well, I mean, you know, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Uh, no, especially when you tie it to the story that just happened. The police in Long Island have finally solved the Gilgo Beach serial killer murder. And you know how they did it? With five hairs found on the burlap sacks and the, the, the tape that this murderer tied up his victims with and a discarded crust of pizza. They were able to put those two things together and match the DNA. That's how sophisticated the DNA technology is now. So I do not believe you, Secret Service. I don't believe you at all. I believe you know full well whose baggie of cocaine that was. Either that person's cocaine or that baggie of cocaine being delivered to someone in the White House. And let's see, who has been in the White House recently? Oh, I know, someone who had a long and intimate relationship with cocaine. Hunter Biden's been living in the White House for months. And then recently, Ashley Biden, who also had issues with cocaine and spent time in rehab, was recently here during the 4th of July weekend. And, uh, huh. So I think, you know, uh, Jesse Waters, uh, I was listening to his podcast, and uh, he said that he believes that this cubby locker was a Dropbox and that either Hunter Biden or other people in the White House or the delivery person has the key. And that box keeps switching. It just happened to be box 50 last time. So I believe it was a very elaborate drop for people that wanted to use cocaine in the White House. You know, people that are addicted to it, that have to find ways to get it, even in the most secure building in the world. <sighs> so you have to laugh. Yeah. Can you imagine? Just, just, just go with me on this little adventure, okay? Imagine, let's go back to 2018, okay? Donald Trump's in the office, and then all of a sudden the Secret Service announces that they found a cocaine baggie in the White House. What do you think would happen? We all know what would happen. The media would be covering it 24-7 breathlessly. They would be screaming for investigations to continue. They would, they would not be happy even in the slightest if the, if the uh, Secret Service says, well, we can't find out who did it. We, didn't, we couldn't find fingerprints. We couldn't find DNA. They would not accept this. But it's funny. All the mainstream legacy media is just like, oh, okay, I guess we don't know who it is. All right, let's move on to another story. But if it was Trump, I guarantee you they'd be, they'd be blaming Don Jr. or Eric or, or Ivanka or someone. They would, they would be blaming. They would be naming names. They would be uh, calling for heads to roll. But because Joe Biden's in the White House with an addict son, also, oh, by the way, over 50 living in, with his parents, that's a little suspicious, don't you think? 
I mean, don't get me wrong. If he's destitute and needs a place to stay, okay. If his mom and dad are worried about him being addicted and they're insisting on him living in the White House so they can watch over him, okay. But then shouldn't they be a little more upset about the cocaine if that were the case? And I find it hard to believe that Hunter Biden is penniless and destitute because he's made millions off of CEFC alone, but also from Romania and Ukraine and all kinds of other places that he has made millions of dollars selling his father's name. So I find it very difficult to believe, but they're going to just let this one go. Oh, no, nothing to see here. All right, moving on. Okay, and just to cover really quickly what I was talking about earlier, the Gilgo Beach serial killer. Uh, This guy, man, I'm telling you, Rex Hoyerman is his name. Uh, This guy's huge. And there's a woman that said that she visited his home one time, I think, to deliver something, or I can't remember exactly why she was there. But she was invited in, and she said it was a pit. It was a horror. This guy hoarded things forever. The, The place stunk to high heaven. And this guy had created a very successful architect firm in Manhattan and was living a normal life now. And it's, I have to commend the police officers that did the work on this. They went above and beyond what they were talking about. They're following him for like a couple weeks. And they found out he was using burner phones to call the families of the victims and taunt them further. And he was visiting Google and doing Google searches on the victims, how the police, how, how the police is advancing their investigation. And he would follow every day over a period of like, uh, <clears throat> what was it? I think three or four months, I think three months over a period of three months, he had visited websites or done Google searches for these victims 200 times. That's someone who definitely takes pleasure in the pain they caused by calling the families and and torturing them further. And also someone with such arrogance, they think they believe they are, have beaten the police and they're just checking to make sure there's a step ahead. And when the police finally found this guy, everyone had to have breathed the sigh of relief in Gilgo Beach uh, in New Jersey. So my hands... Uh, I'm applauding. I can't applaud on on, on the air because it's very loud. But uh, I'm applauding those officers and commending them. And I hope this guy gets the worst penalties possible. He uh, he's attached to three of the um, escorts, the lady, the female escorts. But they have found eleven bodies buried in around the same area that he buried these three. But that the DNA was only able to attach him directly to three. And thank goodness these police officers don't do what Democrats do and project everything they're doing. If they would have projected every step they were taking and every, uh, every amount of progress, I believe Rex Horman would have gone elsewhere, would have found other things to do, would have, would have ran, would have, would have been on the lam, you know, and gone to other countries where he couldn't be extradited. Or, or, but because they kept everything so tightly to the chest, They were able to catch him unawares and bravo to them. Absolutely bravo. Okay. And lastly, I want to talk about one thing about social media. 
Do you think social media companies deserve the protections of Section 230? See, Section 230, everybody talks about that. The FCC code has a section in it, Section 230, that basically gives immunity and liability protection to social media platforms. Because when they first created these platforms, they were going to be social bulletin boards. Anybody could post anything they want and they would not be liable should any damage or other, you know, death or anything like that occur based on the posts that other people put on their platforms, like a bulletin board, you know, a community bulletin board. No one censors that. But because they have been censoring and choosing who they like and who they don't like and who they agree with and who they disagree with and what is misinformation and what is real, true information. They have been making these decisions and editing like publishers. Publishers do not get Section 230 protections. They are not immune from liability. So when these social media companies started censoring stuff they disagreed with and stuff they deemed misinformation, they were becoming publishers. And basically, the way that would work is if you're a publisher and you are choosing what you believe is dangerous content and censoring that content, you are responsible if something happens based on the content that you censored or didn't censor. Again, if they were an open forum, they would deserve the protections of Section 230 that doesn't allow them to be sued because it, it relieves them of all liability. But if they are editing content like publishers, they do not deserve the protections of Section 230. That is my belief. Do you understand how this all works? I hope I've made it a little clearer so you understand when people, all these uh, senators and, and uh, House members talk about that they don't deserve Section 230 protections anymore. I think now maybe you understand a little better. At least I hope so. <laughs> and again, if you have questions, if you want to know more, write me, drew at thewatchdogsbark.com. Okay, and as I always like to do, I want to end on a high note, a very positive note, something to send you forward, inspired and uplifted. And I'm going to continue with my 15 things that you should give up to be happy. But I'm going to go back and review from the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Yeah, I know. I keep using that. But uh, we were going to do... Okay, so we've done nine so far. So one is give up your need to always be right. Number two, give up your need for control. Number three, give up on blame. Stop blaming others for your mistakes and your lot in life. Number four, give up your self-defeating self-talk. Stop telling yourself you can't do things. Number five, give up your limiting beliefs. Don't ever tell yourself you can't do something. You can accomplish anything. Number six, give up complaining. Stop bitching and moaning about how things are going in your life and situations. Just stop. Because like I said, the universe listens to that and says, oh, you're really focusing on this. this you must want more. And that's not what you want. Number seven, give up the luxury of criticism. You remember what they say, those who can't criticize, don't. Stop criticizing. And number eight, give up your need to impress others. Everyone's on their own path. Everyone's doing their own, making their own journey. Everyone's accomplishing their own things. Only compare yourself to you in the past. 
to how much you grow each time you look at where you are in life. That's the only person you should be comparing yourself to, yourself previously. Have you grown from this point to that? Then stop comparing yourself to others and stop trying to impress others and pretend to be something you're not. Because like I said in that last podcast, people are immediately attracted to people that are being genuine. Even if you don't think you are special and genuine and unique, you are. Stop trying to be someone else. Be yourself and watch what happens. All right. And then give up your resistance to change. The only thing constant is change. Things are always going to be changing and you have to embrace that. The next three things, give up, this is number 10, give up labels. Stop labeling people, things, and events that you don't understand as being weird or different. Try and open your mind, little by little if you need to. I mean, minds only work when they're open, right? Closed-minded people don't ever learn anything. Open-minded people learn everything. So stop labeling things. Stop using words like hillbilly, hick. You just don't know. These people know a hell of a lot more than you do on topics you have no idea about. And yes, you may be more book smart, but they may be more street smart. So just stop using labels, period. The highest form of ignorance is when you reject something you don't know anything about. And that, of course, is from one of my favorite motivational speakers of all time, Dr. Wayne Dyer. That is so good, I'm going to repeat it one more time. The highest form of ignorance is when you reject something you don't know anything about. Stop disregarding things that you don't understand and try to understand. All right, the next one, give up on your fears. Fear is just an illusion. It doesn't exist. You created it by creating synapses in your brain that react to things that you were disturbed with the very first, and then you just keep get disturbed. You keep going into that pathway of thought every time you see something that you were scared of at the very first time you saw or experienced it. Do things again. You, you've ever heard the expression, when you fall off the horse, you get back right, right back up on? Same thing. When you fall off your bike, you get right back on and try again. Don't give in to your fears because those fears are going to hold you back from accomplishing great things. It's all in your mind. Correct the inside and the outside will fall into place. Franklin Roosevelt said very famously, everyone knows this. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And remember in the other podcast, I talked about how people use fear to control you and manipulate you. So don't give in to your fears. And then the last one, give up your excuses. Send them packing and tell them they're fired. As uh, Donald Trump would say, you're fired. Say that to your excuses. Stop making excuses. You no longer need them. A lot of times we limit ourselves because of the many excuses we use. Instead of growing and working on improving ourselves and our lives, we get stuck. We lie to ourselves. We use all kinds of excuses. Excuses that 99% of the time aren't even real. There's a famous expression, and I, I will edit out the swear word, but excuses are like buttholes. 
Everyone has one, and they usually stink. Just, just think about that. Okay? Excuses are ways that you're using your fears to limit yourself. There are no excuses. You can accomplish anything. Remember these three things again, okay? Give up labels, give up on your fears, and give up your excuses. Thank you again so much for listening to this podcast. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Please help me spread the word and grow this audience because I want to get a bigger audience. I want to talk to more people of a wide variety of beliefs. I want, like I said, to create an open forum. If you write me really good questions or really good um, comments or even retorts, Two things that I said, if you make really good points, I'm going to read them in my podcast live. I, of course, will never use your name. I will always protect anonymity. Unless you say you can use my name, then I'll use your name and I'll give you credit. And then maybe we can have a little debate back and forth. And like I said, eventually I want to have mics and a studio so we can sit and talk and I can have guests that everybody wants to hear from. Uh, right now, man, I wish I could get RFK Jr. He's fascinating to listen to all of his interviews, especially his interview with Tucker Carlson the other night. That was just incredible. So once again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Until next time, create an amazing day and please relay the bar.